on how you look at it. Perspective is everything. Okay, so, uh, well, we should get started. Welcome to Overdrinks. I've already started. Yeah. Without us? Wait, what's happening? (laughs) (laughs) I have a glass of wine here, which you can't see because we turned off the video. What's, uh, what specifically, what are you drinking? What, what wine varietal? Yeah, well, let's see. Um, let me think what I bought it last night. Um, (laughs) and you're a half a bottle in, so it's a, (laughs) no, 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 no. We drank it last night and then this was the leftover. So, uh, maybe a Malbec. I'm not sure. I think it's Malbec. Mm, All right. They can be tasty. Yeah. In Houston, there is, uh, well, at least there was, there probably still is, but there is uh, like a tapas place um, that also does a lot of different uh, styles of martinis. There was one martini there called the Argentini, which (laughs) was made with vodka made from Malbec grapes, and Hmm. then you float Malbec wine on top of it. Hmm. Oh my God, that is delicious. (laughs) And dangerous. I was going to say. Yeah, whoa. So, uh, Andrew, what are you, what questionable beverage are you partaking now, in what, Now, why would that be a thing? Um, History. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to move beyond, Rob. I'm trying to move beyond. Uh, so, there is um, a wonderful little brewery in Western New York that makes a delicious um, blueberry wheat, which is currently what I'm indulging in. You like beers that don't taste like beer. I love beers that do not taste like beer. <laughs> but do you also like beer that tastes like beer? Uh, it depends. No. <laughs> okay. I'm all for the darker the beer, the better. I'm just, I'm just a purist in in all of my food and drink choices, like. I want the unadulterated, just the thing, you know? Well, I mean, dark beer is just the thing. It's just a dark beer. Sure. Like a porter. But when you add blueberry into it, it's not just the thing anymore. Well, and my, my perspective is I need, I need fruit. I have a huge sweet tooth. Mm -hmm. I love chocolate. I love fruity things. And there's something about hops that I just, I need something to cover that. I'm with you. Mm. I'm not I need a something person. to cover the beer. <laughs> Man, just give me a straight up IPA or, uh that's. That must that's be an good. Ohio thing or something because my husband also is really into the IPAs. Hmm. Maybe. Hmm. Maybe it's just a good taste thing. Oh. <laughs> 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 well, you need to come to Oregon because they're known for their IPAs. Yeah, I know. So, in the spirit of just drinking something pure, um, this is the, the this is the first <laughs> wow. this is the first time I will have actually been doing the overdrinks correctly. Uh, it's nine forty one in the morning. Woo-hoo, five o'clock. But, <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, let's see. Where would it be? Five Alaska. o'clock in Hawaii. Alaska. Alaska. Okay. Uh, I'm enjoying a nice glass of uh, Four Roses small batch bourbon. It's just just neat, Purity. no ice needed. That's right. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. At nine forty one in the morning, keeping that's, it pure. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. <laughs> so, th- so this podcast is going to go well then. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going to go super super great. As as will the rest of the day for me. See, I can't function. I just have to take a nap. 
<laughs> well, we're going to find out what I'm what, what happens to me. I do have some writing to do. I have some other stuff to do today, but you know, we'll just uh, see what it, just see how it goes. Those recommendation letters are just going to be so easy. They just flow. <laughs> they just flow. So, today we're going to talk about a piece called Where Grief Slumbers and it's by Earl Kim. And this was actually my choice. It was. Um, it's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing it with us. <clears throat> yeah, it's um so I'll tell the story of how um, how I came across this piece and why I thought it would be uh, good for the overdrinks is because um, while I was at Rice, we did a thing on, and I've talked about it maybe a couple times with other Rice people on the podcast, but we did a thing every Friday where uh, the composers would gather together in the electronic music studio for about an hour, an hour and a half, like at the end of the day on Friday, um, kind of before Valhalla opened Valhalla is the grad student pub on campus of Rice so we we always had like about an hour and a half to kill between composition uh seminar ending and Valhalla opening which on a Friday night that's what you do mm-hmm. um so we would go to the electro studio as you know not all the composers but a but a solid group of us every time maybe like mm, Always between like five and ten people, you know, five. Yeah. And we would just get together and we would listen to music. Everyone would bring something and we would just talk, you know, just in very informal setting. Just talk about it. No scores, no analysis. Just let's get together, listen and talk. And it was one of the best things about my uh, my doctoral well, I won't say that. It was a great thing about my doctoral experience was just having that um, that place away from professors where you could share ideas. Um, so we were doing that, and um, it was towards the end of the semester, and my professor, Kurt Stallman, um, his wife, Shihui Chen, who, who I have talked about before, I think she was on a, away on a Fulbright or something. So he was just living the bachelor life. And he just said, oh, well, why don't you have one of these Friday get-togethers? Like, why don't you all come over and we'll just have a party at my house? Kurt and Shihui were always really, really generous with their time, with their, you, you know, they, they were constantly having us over and, like, giving us a space, pretty much. Um so we all came over we were drinking uh howard pollock uh one of our musicology friends um he works at the university of houston he he's actually the guy that wrote the big biographies of aaron copeland Copeland, and george Mm -hmm. yeah and george gershwin he's an awesome guy love him he was over and we were just going through kurt's uh lp collection and cd collection and just picking out stuff to play and Kurt, I think it was Kurt that pulled out this disc, which was Don Upshaw, and it, the the disc is called uh, "The Girl with the Orange Lips," which is actually a reference to the last movement of this piece, and it also has a uh, piece by Ravel, and it has the three uh, the Stravinsky three pieces on Japanese poetry or oh, something right, like that. Yeah. Three Japanese, yeah can't remember what it's called and then it had this piece so we were just kind of making our way through this disc and this was you know towards the end of the night so we were all feeling pretty good 
And then we got to this Earl Kim piece, and everyone shut up, everyone stopped making jokes, and we were just taken by this piece. It was incredible. Like, I've had other moments like this where you're doing group listening with friends and you're drinking and then you get to a point and whatever piece you listen to at that point, it really sticks with you. Hmm. So alcohol and music, they go together. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, that's, that's a given. Right. right yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had, I think I had made a, a small joke with Andrea there uh, earlier today when we were finalizing some of the details for this particular uh, meeting uh, or was it last night? What was it where I had the, the subtitle to every composer's yes. biography? <laughs> what was it? Uh, yeah, um, God, so, I can't remember. Do you remember, Andrea? Alcohol Drink. will be involved. No, I was like, there may Some, have been drinks. There yeah, have. There, that's what it was. There may have been drinks. The subtitle to every composer's biography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 now, I think that's, uh, I mean... Uh, thank you for sharing that story mm-hmm. because I think probably we all have similar circumstances with the you know the the composer hang or or some kind of circumstance where where we're reminiscing or remembering the types of things you're talking about, um, mm-hmm. and I think this piece does have a particular something special that uh, kind of contributes to what you're talking about. I think mm-hmm. uh, for me, I mean, I had only just heard this piece recently um and that ophelia movement i just kept coming back to it over and over again yeah that was that was what did it for me too you know like the other movements are beautiful but ophelia is where it happens for a lot of people Mm -hmm. that listen to this piece and i wonder if it's because of the the it's unaccompanied for the first three quarters of it yeah. I think so. Yeah. Very powerful. And it's unaccompanied and it's, it doesn't try to do too much. You know, a few notes are all he needs. Oh, but man, I think right right from the get-go, that is that is the thing I walk away from uh, this piece with. It's stop trying to do so much. Mm-hmm. The very, I yeah. mean, the very first uh, uh, movement, what is it? Um, listening to the, listening to it rain, right? Yeah. Um, and of course the way the score is laid out and thank you so much for that link. So that was very beautiful. helpful. Yeah. 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 Right. And I'm, uh, at a glance, you, you think that there's going to be a choir involved and then you're, Oh wait, no, those staves are all for the voice, but mm-hmm. it's not done in some kind of new complexity, uh, kind of way. It's, it's a graphic representation of the meaning of the text. Um, as you're talking about rain falling and you can, see very easily how uh someone like peter maxwell davies uh studied with earl kim yeah and the i think i mean the 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 visual aspect of the score that represents the text i think that might also be the way that uh rambeau set his poetry Mm. because the text is uh selections from rambeau apollinaire that are both uh, translated by Samuel Beckett. Yeah. So I think, uh, like, I think you're right. I think there, like, if uh, there, if you just look up Earl Kim, where grief scum, <laughs> Earl Kim, <laughs> we're already getting there. Um, 
<laughs> anyway, Take if seven. you look up uh, Earl Kim, Where Grief Slumbers, and uh, it's on Theodore Presser, um, you can you can find the score pretty easily. Yeah, and it's you know right right from the get go, uh, opening up that file and and you know sifting through page one i'm just like yeah this is so it, it's not uh transparent is probably the wrong word but it is so simple that the beauty there's nothing getting in the way of the beauty of the music i think for me yeah there's there's a word i'm trying to come up with it was actually an adjective <laughs> used by used by one of um one of our former composers and uh Shit, I'm gonna have to go to our website and look at all the adjectives. But, um, <laughs> yeah, hang on, hang on. I want, I want this. So fair enough, because it's a good word. It's a good word. But I think, I think it describes the, um, the texture and the like. The, I think it just describes the piece. Gossamer. There it is. Mm, that's a good word. A, yeah, a uh, adjective that Heather Stebbins associated with uh, her that's music. That's right. Yeah. Uh, episode 19 go back and listen to it um but yeah gossamer just just kind of thin but kind of sheer and strong sp- s- yeah mm. it's mm. so like it, it's just it's just so it's just so good i love this piece so much i mean there there are some of these where you know at least one person is uh is like, eh, I don't know what I, about this piece, but <laughs> this is a hard piece not to love. Yeah, I think you'd have to be dead inside. <laughs> um, One we, of the things that I re- oh, sorry, go ahead. Andrew. Well, I, I mean, I, if if we're if if we're in the mood for true confession, um, go for it. So, I, I had a, a passing acquaintance with the music of Earl Kim. Um, because I more or less ran across uh, his music and his bio while I was uh, cramming for comprehensive examinations, right? Mm. Um, so trying to fit in as many uh, composers and, and types of music as possible. And um, basically, he was, for me, a name on a list. And, you know, there was, I can't, I, honestly, I can't remember which piece I had attributed uh, with him, I'm assuming it was probably one of the art songs, uh, but but I can't for the life of me remember in this moment. Um, and going back in preparation for this podcast, um, I'm kind of kicking myself for not investing more time in his music sooner. Yeah, I feel the same. Definitely. Yeah, I mean that that night over at Kurtz, that was that was my first introduction to his music, and then I really. I mean this this piece obviously has been one of my favorite pieces of his but then just getting into the rest of his music it's all really good. He um he taught at Harvard. So he was he was Kurt Stallman's professor and actually another um of my professors at Rice Anthony Brandt. The two of them studied with with Earl Kim. So Earl Kim is in my uh composer family tree. Nice. Yeah. And I love Anthony. Sorry, just you say Anthony Brandt, but I love that sound reasoning book of his. That's such oh a yeah, great teaching tool. Uh, have you used the um, the website? Yeah, with yeah, it as well. Definitely. You know who you know who coded that? Was that you? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's all connected. It's all connected. <laughs> For some reason, I thought it was Anthony Suter, but maybe I'm. Well, um, I know that the initial the initial coding was done by someone else. I think he was doing an update and he hired me for the update. And honestly, it might have, he might've done it again. Like I, I did it at some point, you know, nice. whether or not those updates are still there is, I, I don't know. But. Well, I think it's great. The one thing that I kind of took away from this piece um, as a composer was not so much. I mean, there are many things that I took away from this piece as a composer, but um in I think it might be the later movements, there's a, and I don't actually necessarily know that he does this. It's just something that it it I had an idea while I was listening to it, and it, it has kind of stuck with me. Is the idea that uh, melody produces harmony, because mm-hmm. the voice is always accompanied by a an instrument, and it's like sometimes those instruments get stuck. Mm-hmm. on those notes you know it's like they're they're traveling along with the voice and then all of a sudden they stop and then they just hold out that uh that note while the voice keeps going and that you know it's it's a small thing it's not it and it's it's a it's an easy idea but it's a really good idea yeah and i think the other thing that's um kind of good to remember in terms of vocal writing, which I think Earl Kim has a significant amount of his repertoire related to uh, music with text and voice. And um, there's a lot of doubling. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm almost willing to say it's almost entirely doubled. The voice is always being um, shadowed or supported by this, by an instrument of some kind uh in some ways it's sort of puccini-esque but also there's this um i don't know for me i grew up uh spent a lot of time with my grandparents listening to kind of golden age musicals and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of moments in here that are very theater-esque uh in terms of how certain vocal gestures are treated certain descending lines for example um and things being shadowed by strings just kind of give me this this uh i don't know this nostalgic kind of reminiscence of a 1950s musical well and i wonder if that's too that so much of it is syllabic mm-hmm. very very little mm. melismatic music in this right so yeah um but it's, it's so powerful i don't know not in spite of or despite of, but it's it's it was really striking to me. Like, wow, this has been going on with this very simple text setting for so long, and then when you you get a little bit, I think it's the final movement or movement six that you finally get a little bit of, you know, two notes <laughs> per solo. <Ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> He's so getting I think it crazy kind of goes now. With that. I kind of think it kind of goes with that. What you were talking about, Andrew, with the um, the kind of golden age and the support of it all. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it gets to the heart of the text because it's set so simply yeah yeah i mean you could almost you could almost just do this entire piece as a vocal solo because there's so little harmony mm-hmm. in the piece mm-hmm. i mean if there is it's very open open sounding chords in the strings that that just you know give a give a framework for the voice but but that's it I mean, most movements have 
I actually remember I did a uh, a presentation on this piece, and I, I think I was, I think I did some analysis, and I, honestly, I didn't really come up with that much because there's hardly anything there other than the vo- other than the voice melody. That's kind of amazing. <laughs> so, so in a in a compositional kind of presentation sort of sense, what did you end up presenting on? Uh, it, it, you you find that you only had certain types of nuts and bolts to talk about. So what are the what are the things that in your mind make this piece a success? Good question. I don't I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I re- see the thing is like put the beverage down. I, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My my glass is a little lighter right now. Um. Anyway, I think the thing to take away from this, and this is totally. I I almost I don't like myself for saying this right now, but I think that this is a piece that doesn't do well under analysis. I think this is a piece that is mostly held up by the feeling it creates inside of you. Um now, of course, you can find you can find sets and you know do that, but when you when you try to take it, when you try to see any rigor in it like from a from a set theory ah, (laughs) jesus christ um from a set theory perspective (laughs) (laughs) when you try to find any rigor from a set theory perspective it's just not there but do you need that for a piece to be successful no i absolutely don't think so it's just that for hmm like I want there I I want it to be there. I want it to have this type of sound and emotion and then find out later through a deep analysis that there is that rigor there so that can prove it to me that what some you know sometimes what I'm doing can produce something like this, you know. Yeah. I think it's more of an insecurity about my own writing that I can't just let go and succumb to the beauty that he creates in my own writing because I feel like there has to be a sort of structure, like a, a very logical structure behind it. You know what I mean? Well, I don't think um, that there's, it lacks structure or logic. True. And, and I don't, no, I don't think it does either. It's just that if you're, it could be that maybe when I was doing that presentation, and keep in mind this was seven years ago, something like that. <laughs> so I think I'm a I think I'm a little bit, you know, better of a musician at this point. But um, maybe at that point I was just I was just using the wrong tools to mm. to try and find something out about it. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty significant statement in its own right. Um, the idea that a theory is so interesting for composers because I feel like it is absolutely necessary, but at the same time, theory itself, it's more like theories, right? That there, there mm-hmm. needs to be, and even for people who are analyzing, um, there are tools that work to decode and or produce certain types of things easier than others but at the same time composers are very apt to use a tool that was supposed to be for some type of thing and use it in a way that it wasn't designed for to Mm -hmm. just see what happens um and i think in the end as far as analysis goes i'm i'm always um 
I kind of fall into that camp of of human beings that think everything we do can be encoded into an algorithm. And I know Rob, you and I have talked about this uh, yeah. uh, a time or two. Um, but the idea for me that there is something statistically relevant about the things happening in this piece that can be distilled and maybe not recreated per se, but but offer some kind of architectural blueprint um, for another composer to kind of superimpose their language on, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, and I mean, I think the thing that, I mean, like I said before, it's the 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 sparseness of this piece is what I really take away from it. You don't need a lot Mm -hmm. to create something amazing. And so pitch wise, I think, you know, he definitely has, he definitely has a language that is closer to what we would think of as coming towards tonality. (laughs) Um, Well, everything that I read about him said that. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Um, In a time when that wasn't so cool, right? Right, yeah, pretty much. When when was this? This this piece was 83. Oh, wait, what? Yeah. Well, the disc came out in 1994, so this piece was written nine years before it, or 11 years before it. Simple math. details (laughs) man whiskey is really good in the morning this is dangerous (laughs) hey kids (laughs) hey this content is explicit there's an e on our podcast for a reason (laughs) you know there really doesn't have to be an e most of the time that's true it's, it's a bait and switch. It's a bait and it's a, it's clickbaiting. That's what it is. Because <laughs> people want to hear composers curse. Is that it? Maybe I don't know. It's uh, it, it's the temptation. It's the the novelty is the wrong word. It's the um, mm. it's the awe factor, shock and awe. Clearly. We want to be able to talk about what we want to be able to talk about, and if we're limited right. because we don't have the e, then we don't believe we get emails. Right. We well, we I mean that emails. nobody wants more that email. one with <laughs> I mean that one with you and Kristen. Good God, that needed an E. <laughs> that was fantastic, by the way. You ended a lot out of it. I noticed. <laughs> really? I don't think I did. <laughs> Maybe some just some laughing. I don't know. That's funny. That's funny. Well, there were definitely a lot of edits where it was like. Uh, I asked a question. Is like that's a great question. I have no idea. Let me go look it up. <laughs> but the stuff with her husband coming yeah, in, that that's funny. That is gold. Oh man, I think I made a hashtag out of that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was no high G's for you. Yeah, no high G's for you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that was pretty fun. I, Thank I, you, Rob. <laughs> I played. I played just that. Uh, just those couple parts for my wife and. She, she cracked up. That uh-huh. I mean, that's just funny. Well, I take another drink. <clears throat> well, let's all let's all pause for a moment of libation. Yes. Is that a word to libate? I have no idea. Hmm. Who's looking it up right now? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna say it is. 
Let's go libate. That <laughs> doesn't sounds, sound right. That sounds, that sounds Yeah, that sounds like you could get at least a misdemeanor for that. Urban Dictionary just came up when I searched it. I'm not sure that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. To partake in imbibing large amounts of refreshing alcoholic beverages. It means exactly what you would Th- think. There it you go. Mean. There you go. It's in the dictionary to pour out a libation or make libation. To make uh, libation, yeah. 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 I think it works. Yeah. All right. Let's libate. Li- Perfect. <laughs> it's still, it still doesn't feel right. Nope. We can drink. All. Just drink and enjoy. <laughs> drink and enjoy. Isn't that sad when you know right is on your side? Like, it's in the dictionary and it still doesn't feel right? Yeah. 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 I I feel like our people... I'm going to feel that more and more. Should we come back to the piece? Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. I have a a question. Why the last three sections? Because that's what you sent to us, right? He sent the whole thing. Sent the whole thing. Dude, you're holding out on me. I got sections five, six, and seven only. What? It was in an email. It wasn't the whole thing. It was in an email. Yeah. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. You missed oh, out on man. some good stuff. You got okay. Ophelia, right? Did you, did you, did did you, you not hear, hear the Ophelia movement? Dude, I YouTubed the crap out of this piece. Okay. I heard it all. Okay, well, I sent the whole thing, man. Well, well I was just, I was curious. I just didn't know if you had some kind of uh, uh, preference for the last three. But since we were talking about four so extensively, I figured something no. was up. Yeah, no. I mean, the the whole piece is great. I think. So, what do you think um, about the Sprechstimme at the end? You know, okay. Don't say it, Rob. Don't no. <laughs> Don't ruin my night. <laughs> That's the only part that I'm not so jazzed about. <laughs> I usually turn it off at the last movement. <laughs> oh, you're cute. Oh, my heart is breaking. See, because I, the last the last movement kind of for me it seems like just a coda to the rest of the piece and i'm like yeah i don't need to listen to this it was done after the sixth movement he stopped beethoven too before it's over he does <laughs> <laughs> that's bad it's bad no well see i i have no problem with Sprechstimme, but it, it popped out to me as um as, odd. as, as odd. Fit, right? not as, you too oh my god uh, okay, I'll be I'll be the one person on this podcast who says that moment for me I really enjoyed. We'll talk about it. Ta- yeah. Why? Um I don't know. What for whatever reason, as I'm listening to the piece in its entirety through through many single YouTube clips. Thank you, Rob. Um <laughs> I sent the whole thing. I, I, get, I get to this section seven, right? And this is the girl with orange lips. And, um, you know, the words at the beginning are at the edge of the forest, right? And for me, that 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 being set in Sprechstimme was um, not jarring. Uh, you, you had said it kind of popped out to you or, or maybe it came out of context for you. I think that was something that kind of hooked me back into where I was in the piece, and as a signifier that this is kind of the end, I, I think it works well. Okay, I'm thinking about that. No, okay, no, you can't. No, I just I wasn't successful. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it seems like that is something that Earl Kim does quite often in his other pieces. 
is the use of spoken text or sprechstimud test text sprechstimud spoken you, text past tense <laughs> yeah but Speech i like song? saying sprechstimud <laughs> that's that's a word right it seems so. like that is something he does and that's why it seemed to me that in this last movement it was just like oh i haven't done that yet okay here it goes yeah, you but know? you know, for for me, I think in in the hands of another composer, let's just let's just say, in if I were doing it, I would have done it poorly, um, and it probably would have really stuck out like a sore thumb. No, but Andrew. for no, for Andrew. what? Oh, it, it happens. Um, for for what I'm looking at here, is there any other time where we have such vertical punctuation from the ensemble as well? I don't think so. Right. Because it's not just the Sprechstimme, but well, in what about context. The page before, the page before, I'm seeing all sorts of verticalities. Verticalities, yes, but not punctuation. I think. Okay. Because that's just doubling the vocal line again. Sure. Okay. And so, but at the beginning of seven, we get like punctuation chord ish, right? And then space for the voice to speak through. That's something I think. It's it's not just the fact that the Sprechstimme is there. It's like the whole kind of atmosphere around the voice changes. That I think that's that really sells it to me. Uh, that it sort of belongs because um, belongs in the sense that this is a moment of contrast. I guess it, for yeah. me, it worked a little bit better. The the girl with the orange lips. The the second stanza worked oh. a little bit better for me. Maybe that's why. Mm. Or maybe the first one was you just know, so I'm, jarring. I'm not sure. But. I'm just looking at the score, and I, this is the first time I realized this. I was looking because I was uh, uh, the place that Andrea, you were talking about the maybe the measure in seven four on the page before the movement seven, mm -hmm. where you were seeing the verticalities, and I was just looking. Oh, I mean, are, do we have anything like? No, this is just uh, doubling the vocal line in octaves. But I was looking at the score and he does this thing where he writes one clef and if the clef stays on the next stave he just writes a line down it yeah like you have a, tre a treble clef in the soprano or the solo violin and then he just writes treble clef all the way down to cello yeah i was like what oh, it's beautiful crazy. i've never i've never <laughs> seen that before i mean obviously this is a handwritten score very economical yeah it's it's really pretty score i have to say but anyway, that was just a complete aside because I've been drinking whiskey. Ta-da! <clears throat> well, I feel like we need to listen to that opening. Is that possible? Yeah. You mean right now? Can we? <laughs> can we listen to it? So we can listen to it again with, with the libations? Is that possible? <laughs> The girl with 
back to what I was saying earlier about the whole like using the wrong tools to uh, to analyze this. It really seems like, and especially from the first movement, that analyzing it from a set perspective is wrong. Like it seems like he's creating scales that he is moving through. I mean, would you, Andrew? Would you? I don't know. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I I think that's that's fair to say. Uh, maybe not wrong, but maybe wouldn't necessarily glean the most useful information. Um, yeah, I mean, you're gonna find sets, but you're not gonna find any transformations, right? Or or if you do, it might just be a sort of so what moment because um, yeah. You know, it's like partitioning or uh, or parsing out uh, musical information that actually doesn't make good musical sense, and and arguing right. that oh, there's there's the set I was looking for, right? It's like finding right, the golden right, right. mean in uh, your television set. It, I'm sure it's possible, <laughs> but the the dimensions of your television set. <laughs> um, I love those research papers that are always like, oh, and it's only like seven beats away from the the statistical golden mean. Okay, then it's not like, the golden mean. Right, seven seven beats actually could be quite significant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but you know, looking, uh, l- uh, speaking of uh, maybe looking at some proportional types of things, because it looks like there are areas of you know uh, uh, more stretched out or longer passages as we're adding text to the descending line, or these moments of interjection from the violins where we suddenly have a lot of fast notes, the density increases, albeit for a very mm. short period of time. But you know, mm-hmm. what, what are these... Pun- it's, it's that type of information that, uh, for me, I think is more useful. It's like how he manages time. Right, yes. end up talking about time don't we sorry really important and it i don't know is it is it just me or a time or two do you get the feeling that we sort of teach composition the wrong way around mm-hmm. but um, exactly. say that again? <laughs> i don't know if i can at this point uh i had two glasses of wine before this too just just <laughs> full disclosure um Man, I'm I'm just catching up to you guys. Well, you, guys you guys did you a bunch of pre-gaming. Up. That's no, right. <laughs> you I'm, just, you know, I'm still true. on my first glass that I started last night. So. <laughs> <laughs> what, you just left it out? No, no I put that the refrigerator. Good. I put it in the refrigerator. It, it aerates, right? Sure. <laughs> That's a thing. Sure. Oh. Um, uh, no, I guess I guess what I mean is um, I feel like too often uh, I feel that we start 
talking to students about things that in the end don't really matter as much as some more important elements of music. Like we talk to them about melody and harmony and maybe arbitrary formal structures. And we don't really talk to them about time and managing energy and expectation. Not until, I I don't know, it, it feels like we let ourselves and our students stumble around with these larger tools. And then it's like, so, Hey, you see that didn't work out too well. That's because actually the pacing is wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Time, yeah. time is always like the last thing, the last thing you teach that. Yeah. You have to have a mastery of melody and harmony and rhythm and form and then you start talking about time yeah you're right and it's and it's the most fundamental thing though is is when and how things happen not just in terms of their structural function or or their um kind of of um how do i want to say it andrea do you have a better way of saying that do am i making sense yeah you, you are but um i try to talk about gesture and holding tension mm-hmm. pretty early on. Yeah. Um, I think my students maybe think I'm a little nuts because they're not there yet. Um, but often they're just repeating the same thing. It's either too much repetition yeah. or not enough repetition. And so yeah. I try and say like, you know, let's, let's listen to it as if you're coming to it for the first time with fresh ears and where do you feel like it needs to grow and do these sorts? So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I feel like I, I do talk about that more than harmony. So is it, is it just, is it an, it's an impatience thing, isn't it then? Uh, for uh, me? Y- no, 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 no. For the student. Sorry. Uh, as, <laughs> as a, a kind of youthful exuberance of wanting to get to the quote unquote good stuff. I think, did we all go through this phase of, of, you know, we we just have to get a cool melody or this, Mm -hmm. this hot chord progression. Right. And, and all of my problems will be solved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I wasn't taught the time management aspect of it until later, but I try not to leave that for my students. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. Like I, I tried to get to the cool stuff and stay on the cool stuff as long as possible. But as it turns out, if you do that, the cool stuff isn't the cool stuff anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you need that. And I think we were talking, I think in one of the, 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 um, the Fagerlund, uh, over drinks, we were talking about, you kind of need some not so cool stuff for a while. Like you need, you need filler to make the cool stuff pop that much more like and in a way. And I'm not saying that some of these movements are filler, but they're obviously not as striking as Ophelia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Ophelia is the movement for this piece. It what it's what holds the piece together. It's the emotional climax of the entire work. It's, it's the, the gem inside. It's also uh, the yeah. Well, that seems very structured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean Truth. to rain on your your parade. But. No, 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 no. <laughs> that was well placed. But Thanks. It was. Thanks. Just like Ophelia is in Where Grief Slumbers. 
And and I think therein lies what we're talking about, because um, the elements of this piece on the surface are maybe not that cool. I, I mean, right. I, I don't I don't want to seem pejorative or, or sacrilegious or anything like by saying that. But but if we take these as individual kind of musical things, they are not that interesting. But the sum of these parts is really spectacular, in my opinion. Yeah. I think also we have to think about the time and the time when that it was made, right? <laughs> like when it was made, not the time. Yeah, but the, yeah, the, I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, wine. Um, when it was made, because <laughs> uh, hashtag wine. Yeah, hashtag wine. Um, wine for composers. Uh, because that would have been a pretty bold thing to do. Yeah. I mean, that simple, some, those quarter notes forever and ever and ever. And you just get these little, like, I mean, you you still have, in that first movement, you're talking about the, the quarter notes forever, and you just have these little wispy violin, you know, 32nd notes and a, and a 16th note here and there, these little gestures, but it's it's just, it's nothing. It's it's not throwaway, mm-hmm. but it's it's not it's not the center. Mm-hmm. The center is the quarter notes and like that takes so much, you know, such guts in 1983 to to do that when you've got people people on the on the west coast just making stupid polyrhythms and what? you know <laughs> wait, 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 wait wait a minute wait, wait a wait minute, minute. <laughs> I'm talking about I'm talking about Stanford <laughs> Okay I was like um <laughs> But I mean, you've got. Is this a dig like at me? Say, like, <laughs> we're just, we're just, no. We're just gonna generalize an entire coast right now. Feel free, <laughs> Andrea. You write stupid polyrhythms. <laughs> just wanted to clarify. <laughs> Her polyrhythms are well educated. Thank you very much. Thank right. you so much. Very well educated. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like they're they're, yeah. Like you say, at this time. To write a piece like this that doesn't fit into any ism that there was, it's just him. That's I for me, that's the that's the testament of this piece. That his language for him is so strong that he can he can write quarter notes for two two minutes, three minutes, and it's amazing. Well, you know, what I think is interesting too, and I can't remember the year. But it looks a lot like the score to Tabula Rasa. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, just with the, you know, the little wispy, little wispy guys, and then just the quarter notes. Um, there, there are things about it that remind me of that. But I think that's an earlier piece, right? I can't. I'm sorry. The, the date is escaping me. For um, it's seventy-seven, I believe. Okay. Um, wow, that's like a red letter date. I mean, buildings in Bowling Green were built then, and there was a new music ensemble and organization at Fredonia founded in 77. So it's a red letter date. Back to the future. All right. Hashtag back to the future. Um, no, I think something about this that is not parrot-like, though, I think is, um... Well, so much is not parrot-like, but well, visually... Fair, fair, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> but, 
but but you know it's it's the one it's one thing to say you know it, it uses uh, some element like quarter notes for for a long period of time um but i mean the I, the I, I, it comes back to pacing i think for me it comes back to pacing and it comes back to density because there are changes in that which there aren't in the in the parrot or or of um a lot of other new simplicity kind of styles so andrew i know i think you've maybe talked about this before or thought about it before but in in going ahead with like have you thought about designing exercises for for students which focus on time from a very early stage in the in the uh, education process? Um, I have. I haven't done anything in the way of implementing these yet. They've kind of been thought experiments uh, so far. And and as such, I'm probably not going to be willing to share them with human beings yet. Um, no, I, uh, but it's something that I'm thinking about in terms of, of exercises in, in kind of gestural awareness and, and pacing over over certain over different spans of time let me put it that way um i've actually done more with um conceptualizing the the what we referred to as the cool stuff earlier in this podcast you know melody harmony all that um for younger students in terms of what they already know namely language right um because mm -hmm. i don't know if i had talked to either of you about this before but uh um, when I'm teaching at my summer gig, uh, usually what I have are uh, middle school students maybe who are just starting to learn compositional ideas. And I actually, you know, we do melody things and, um, and I try not to talk so much to them about musical jargon. I kind of get them mm -hmm. doing things like cadencing, like cadence extensions, like different kinds of melody shapes, you know, where the high points are. Um, but doing that in ways that I think are more relatable to them without giving them more terminology. So we take uh, a look at um, what they know about language, sentence structure, punctuation, grammar, those types of things. And it's an old idea if you, you know, look at a... Oh, the unanswered question that Bernstein talks about and Chomsky thing. So uh, I'm not doing anything new by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm kind of taking it, uh, hopefully not over the edge, but I'm I'm doing a lot with it uh, for these students at an early age to kind of get them to relate to things that are a little more abstract or esoteric. Mm -hmm. I mean, as we were talking, I was just kind of I my I was just kind of coming up with uh, an exercise for for young i guess young students and i don't and this has probably been done <laughs> i mean I, I i i'm not thinking that this is an original idea but i wonder if you just gave them and i'm talking about you know beginning college students yeah. or end of end of high school or something like that you just give them five ideas five musical ideas, whatever they might be. And you just say, okay, write a one minute piece with these. Now write a three minute piece with these. Now write a five, like write a seven minute piece with these. Now write a 10 minute piece with these or something. Just to talk about your idea of pacing and time and proportion. And you get like, obviously 
you give all your students the same exact ideas and you come back with a lot of different interpretations of those ideas and what people focus on and what like it, I I just think it'd be really interesting to to try that out and see what happens with with a group of students and I feel like they would get a lot from that. I mean, I remember you talking about once to me about this this I uh, maybe you even do that. I I think you do do this that you know you just have your students kind of compose. You give them a a timer, and you just have okay. You're 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 gonna experience the next seven minutes how does your piece f- fill out the next seven minutes and just kind of graph it or something is that how you do it yeah i did now as i'm thinking about this i'm wondering andrea did i steal that from you uh maybe eleni a- oh now that that might be true i don't i don't know if she's ever i, I don't I'm know not- if she's ever done it as an exercise specifically i mean we've certainly had kind of deep listening sort of activities in a similar vein mm-hmm. um I've had yeah. people graph pieces. So is that what you're thinking of? Like we graph, but I don't necessarily say here, set a timer and do it. Uh, so I'm, 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 I might've, yeah, I might've just kind of made the amalgam of all the worlds, uh, uh, which is kind of cool. Yay. Synthesizing. Yay. Um, That's what you want to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the idea of, what was it? I had seven students taking a, a intermediate composition class uh, with me, and basically their their final project was to write a nine minute piece for uh, a relatively large force of instruments. At least large for them, it was like eleven instruments, and so there were automatically a few hurdles for them to jump through. This was a big project. This had a lot of forces to to explore. Um, and I wanted them to start off thinking about the piece from the beginning as a whole, as opposed to, you know, okay, I've got, I've got to come up with X number of themes and they all have to fit into this certain type of form for this amount of time. And so I had them just at the outset of the project um, with several sheets of graph paper and I, I had a timer that I projected. And I said, okay, so I basically gave them all the rules and it boiled down to uh, – Think about the musical sound. Think about the music in your head. And I want you to make notes to yourself and listen to it in your head. And then when you're bored with that idea, that texture, that chord, whatever it is you're thinking about, look up, make a note of the time, and then think about the next texture. And uh, it was eye-opening for me. As a as a young teacher, because I had um, you know students at the at the polar opposite ends. One student thought that, oh, how am I going to fill these you know eight pages of graph paper right? And I'm not going to have enough ideas. And uh, he was the kid that by the end of the you know time of the piece was like cramming in notes in every possible margin right. Um, mm. And then, you know, somebody who the other side of the uh, of the spectrum uh, had thought, oh, I, this this first idea, I know it's going to be two minutes long. And uh, as he's listening to it in his head, he said, OK, that's done. And he looked up and 15 seconds had passed. <laughs> <laughs> so it, I, I think it's a I think it's a fun exercise. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's it, uh, humans are are inherently bad at temporal perception, right? I, I think percussionists I are very that. good at it. I think <laughs> yeah, I just like no percussionists are great who are like, at it. 
I'm, I'm going to be here for half an hour and they don't even look at their watch. They just stand up and walk out and it's like half an hour on the dot, yep. you know? I mean, it's All amazing. Right. F- fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but I mean, cause there's that there's that part from uh, Arrested Development where George Michael shows up with a woodblock and says, I, I, "I'm a natural percussionist. I have excellent awareness of time. We've been we've been standing here for ten seconds." <laughs> um, I mean, generally, <laughs> yeah, generally. But I mean, I feel like I don't know. I feel like I have a pretty good sense of time. Maybe it because it's so important to me in, and it has been, <clears throat> it has been made so important to me in my music through my teachers. Like Shuhei, Shuhei was, uh, oh my God, she was just always, ah, this doesn't seem like it's long enough. This seems like it's too long. She was, she never, I, I have to say all my teachers at Rice, they never got involved in my notes. None of them. Mm-hmm. Like they were never like, ah, I don't think you want this here. This this octave doesn't feel right. You know, they never did any of that. They were always concerned with time, yeah, and yeah, proportion and orchestration and everything like that. It's like your notes are your notes, right? Write whatever you want. I don't care, um, but write it in a way that feels good. And that's what I'm always searching for as a composer. Does this feel good? And that's what I. That's why I think I gravitate so so. Uh, so much to this Earl Kim piece. It just feels good in so many ways. Well, I was going to say, I think um, you also had that those teachers when you were older. Mm-hmm. That's true. Because I I know, like, you know, when I was at Bowling Green and I had the whole gamut from very beginners to doctoral students, um, I talked about really different things <laughs> along the way you know so it's true um, yeah different different students need different things right. at different yeah. points in their in their development yeah sure absolutely actually when i was a master's student um like uh dan i i went to university of arizona and dan asia was in my notes constantly because that's what i needed because i didn't my undergrad was not in composition you know so i needed that like really meticulous dissection of what I was doing. But yeah, you're right. So, I mean, I, I, and I find, you know, now I'm just teaching undergrads. So I feel like I'm talking about notes more than I used to and probably not enough. Right. Cause mm. I, I go a lot more to the, the pacing side of things. Um, but sometimes I, I, I get bored because they're not, you know, developing. So if I have to get into their notes a little more and say, hey, how can you transform this idea? <laughs> but that's, but the non-development is an aspect of pacing still because True. you're bored with the idea. True. Because it has, like, the idea has has overstayed its welcome. Right. That's See, a so very I guess polite way t- of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess all I talk about is, like you're saying, does it feel good? Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think there are, I think there are things, it seems like a very vague, like we're dealing with vagaries, you know, oh, it's got to feel good. I think, I think there are some tricks, there are some, um, techniques that we have that kind of point us into directions that are that are closer to humans being more receptive to 
uh, a musical landscape or idea, right? Um, All right, let's hear it. Well, it's well, it's gonna. The things I'm gonna bring up are cliche, of course, but you know, the rule of three <laughs> that that's that golden mean, one. right? Um, it it you know it exists for a reason. Eh. It exists. Eh. Come on, Rob. It exists for a reason. It's good. <laughs> I like. I I enjoy outliers. <laughs> no, no, but the outliers are enjoyable because of the rule of three. You heard something else three times. <laughs> So we all just heard that many times and it was still mm-hmm. fun each time. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that, that is, that is one painfully obvious, uh, trick or, or tool that a composer could use to dialogue against. It's the same thing with, uh, standard quote unquote forms, right? It's, uh, there is no piece in the history of the universe that behaves exactly as a sonata form should. And if paper. you find one, it's probably no. There's that one Mozart shut up, sonata. Shut up. That... <laughs> there's one Haydn. That's how they defined it, right? The, I mean, you know, looking looking at that tome that Hepikovsky and Darcy put out in what 2000, the the elements of sonata theory, right? Um, when when you analyze all of the Beethoven, Haydn, and Mozart sonatas, you get to distill the essence of a sonata form. And so you have these behaviors that sonatas have, but really the form is there for a composer to dialogue against, right? It's not... Sonata form is an average. <laughs> nice. See, statistically relevant data, Rob. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I think my whiskey is gone. I think, oh, my oh. wine's gone too. Dip in my, the energy. Oh. I have one gulp of beer. Hold on. <laughs> Make it loud. Make it really loud. I can't. Oh, geez. it's going to come out my nose. <laughs> you got to do the. <laughs> <laughs> Not happening. It's gone. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, Fair we're enough. all in the same sad state. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but mine was like 50% alcohol. We were pre-gaming. Yeah, I, I have to, I have to go downstairs after this and catch up. I guess. Dun dun dun, dun and then we'll podcast later. Good. Yes, mm, that would be a good one. <laughs> and I, I I know that you're both very curious, but we're currently in bar two thousand one hundred twenty-seven, according to my logic session. It's still in four, right? It is awesome. Oh, I'm 2,129. Can we, can, what? What tempo are you in? I'm in 120. Uh, I'm probably at 122. I must have started recording a little bit sooner than you did. Uh, um, well, you'll all have to Whatever. edit out bits so that when we talk about the golden mean thing, it happens at the golden mean. Oh, that's up to uh, Rob. We can leave that up to Rob because he's no, the one who does the editing. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Forget it. No golden mean. <laughs> there will be no golden mean. There will be no ABA. There will be. No- <laughs> There's no rule of three. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about the piece anymore. <laughs> I think we're done. Yeah. Right, we're not going to bring it back around. We're just going to end it. <laughs> this is the coda that I'm going to not going to listen to. Oh, and off. So sad. Well, I mean, thank you, Rob, for this yeah, piece. Thank you. It was beautiful. And I can't wait to share it with my students in the fall. Uh, I've, I've already, this is terrible. I've already sent some of my students Facebook messages saying, I don't care that it's summer. You need to, you need to, you need to look at this piece and listen to it. 
<laughs> I'm going to too because I have a student who wants, as a 19 year old, wants to write a 45 minute song cycle. And I'm like, what? Yeah. I, 45 minutes? <laughs> that's ambitious. <laughs> why? I don't know. Good God, why? I don't know. That will never be played by anyone ever. No. It other will, than the premiere. That, I was going to say that one time it could happen. It could. I mean, if he, if you can excerpt, but forty-five minutes of solid, no, no, no. You know, I think, I think this would be an excellent uh, avenue of exploration for the student, though. I do too, and and well, he, and he wants to um, kind of make it with a rock band. So, oh man, I have another piece of listening for that student. Then, okay, let, let's hear it. I'm I writing mean, it down right now. Do we? Do we all it's know Rocky? Rocky picture. God damn it. (laughs) Rob just had some kind of medical emergency. (laughs) It's Um, called the Rocky Pay Howard's Picture Show. Um, Could could be related. Are are you both familiar with Andrew Lloyd's Weber? Oh, good. See, Rob, it's infectious. Ah, there it is. Are you both familiar with Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, Concerto for Cello, Rock Band, and Orchestra? No. No, I'm thank God. Cello, <laughs> you, Rock you Band. You have to try and find oh, it. Concerto. All right, because um, he's a cellist, too. Oh, this is perfect. <laughs> oh, my right. God. I, I think, I, and I hope this isn't apocryphal, but I'm pretty sure on the inside cover of the score that it does say Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote this uh, because he lost a bet. <laughs> I hope it's not apocryphal. I'm pretty sure this is the truth. <laughs> so, Andrea, I mean, isn't this kid just writing a rock album? I mean, 45 minutes in a song cycle. You, yeah, he's just writing a rock album, right? And you know what? I'm I'm okay with that. I want. I just, yeah, I'm writing. But just call it what it is. Yeah. Call it what it is. I'm I'm gonna write a. I I'm gonna make a rock and roll album, not a song cycle. Like that just that paints it in a different light. I mean, I I don't know. I don't well, know. but but we just had art song class um, mm, okay. here and see, and then I also just taught the first songwriting class, which he was also in. So it was all you know, like it was all about the song this yeah. last semester. So mm, okay, it felt like the thing to do, and I'm gonna encourage him to do it. You go, you go do it. He definitely should do it. He just should know what he's getting into. Oh, I think he does. <laughs> okay, good. I mean, he just he wrote, knows. He just wrote He's going to do it anyway. A 20-minute cello quartet. Nice. Uh, yeah, that was good. Holy crap, yeah. man. Yeah. Um This guy's the next Morton Feldman. Keep keep writing. Keep writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so so Andrea, your songwriting class. Yeah. Um how do you like teaching that? It was really fun. Um yeah. because it was to serve um, students who, you know, wouldn't take composition lessons. Yeah. Um, and then I had some, you know, this com- young composers also took the class, but, um, and it was within the liberal do arts. You, so that was, that do was Do you fun think too. you'll, do you think you'll have any, uh, converts from the songwriting that this kind of opened something up and maybe they now want to take composition? Maybe we'll see, because there were some freshmen majors who took the class mm-hmm. so we'll, mm. we'll see um but i think in general it was just eye-opening to them what it took it's not like you just sit down with your guitar and a song pops out 
you know, we mm. had a concert, a little cat, nice. cat, yeah, and um, they all had one to three songs on the show, and just seeing, you know, you have to schlep in stuff, and you have to have mic mm. cables, and you have to have all this stuff, you know, so <laughs> um, that was, was, it was kind of impressive, like, there, some of the songs were surprisingly good. You know, it was great. I'm trying, to th- I'm trying to think about how I would, how I would teach a songwriting class. I have no idea. I mean, I've written a ton of songs for like for just me and guitar or rock band, you know, and and voice or whatever. But I don't even know how I would approach it. Like, how do you how do you do that? What a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, we okay. list. Well, okay. So now. That's all the joking aside. We had um, uh, we have this this curriculum that's called the Linfield curriculum, and they're supposed to study in a lot of different areas. Like one of them is U.S. pluralisms and global pluralisms, and you know, vital questions of the past and things like that. So this class, we we um, wanted to give the students who needed another LC um, the option to study this through U.S. lens. So we mm-hmm. were looking at um, you know just just starting like, okay, all those early Revolutionary War era songs, they took existing tunes and put new lyrics to them. So we did that just to see how do you write, how do you apply syllables to an existing tune? Nice. So Weird Al should have been your your main inspiration there, right? Well, <laughs> well but you just take like Chester, right? right? Some of that yeah, old stuff. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. But you know, yeah, weird Al for sure. But you know, just, but I was just getting to the point, like, because for them, it's always the lyrics that are kind of the, the tricky thing. Right. So in some ways that's the scary part of the process, I think. Um, so we started just really simply from that, that place and um, kind of looked at what were some songs that, you know, how did this function within, you know, U.S. culture and and how are you going to do this? And let's look at, you know, uh, ABCs, you know, Baba Black Sheep and Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Guess what? They're all the same tune. <laughs> you know, like they, they why does this how many work? classes? How many classes did you spend on Justin Bieber? Zero. Zero. He's Canadian. What? Oh. <laughs> OK. OK. Nicki Minaj. Well, actually, she was more in my women in music class. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Timberlake. <laughs> the whole class. I okay. The whole class. The, I'm not just the, kidding. Look, if yeah. that was all about Timberlake, I would take that class. <laughs> you, see, you know, I think uh, this type of thing, I'm kind of excited to see happen more frequently because of, of what you just said, Andrea, the notion that it's an eye-opening experience for them. And mm-hmm. man, I am just so interested in demystifying art in general yeah. um, so that people understand it for what it is and what it takes. And it is no longer relegated to this either elevated or alienated status of people who are gifted. (laughs) Yeah. And it's also Um, the type of class that's, that's a gift back to your hmm. university or college because it's serving a different population than you normally serve in a music program. So it's, you know, they have, they're supposed to take their fundamentals class beforehand. 
Um, but I ended up having to teach a lot of, you know, this is a C major chord, this is a G major chord, and this is why they go from one to the other. But those are all you need right there. (laughs) Right. And, um, you know, but just how do you, how do you like, and one, one woman, she could just write tunes like really long, 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 like anime type, you know, tunes, but she didn't know. She had no idea how to choose a chord to go with it. So Mm -hmm. then we went that direction as well. So, um, but, but it was creative it was challenging for them um and we had this other like kind of historical perspective of it too so i think you know i think that there should be more classes like this because like you said yeah it it's not just for classical people to create music is demystifying art the best thing for art um because i'm thinking like I need another glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I almost don't want to get it, but this is such you brought it up, so I have to I have to go down this path. Man, this you. is exactly like my comprehensive exams. <laughs> 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 well, I am a former teacher of yours. Yeah, that's so. true. <laughs> my I guess my point is is like you can I, I, I mean I get your point. Like everyone can make music right everyone can make art it's not it, it, it's not just this uh select few of the enlightened or the gifted that can do this everyone can do it but in a way if you look like for instance if you if you stand in front of a mark rothko for however long it takes for it to really sink into you i mean that's there's no way you can analyze that. You know what I mean? Like, there's no way that you can break that. And I, this is going to completely go against what, you know, what you believe. But there's no way that you can turn that into an algorithm. I'm sorry. You just can't. Uh, like, no com- no computer can can't make a mark now. <laughs> ah, there it is. Um, I mean, the, the, the thing for me is there, there is always going to be some kind of, uh, mystical realm that is probably achieved through the idea that there is a person perceiving art, that, that triumvirate that is music that we talk about all the time, right? The intersection between the creator, the interpreter and the listener, that's the relationship that makes music possible. If any one of those is removed from the nexus, then there is no music. There can't be. Um, Except that, for fixed media. That it's still the case that there. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, the idea though that your impression and understanding of the art that you are experiencing changes the more information you have about the process behind its creation. Mm-hmm. The, the more you see yourself in the role of creator and interpreter, the more it informs your ability to perceive things as a listener. And so that's the kind of demystification that I think I'm talking about. Right. But I wouldn't say that I, through studying the techniques of a composer or a painter or, or an artist in general, through studying those techniques, it gives me any greater... It gives me a greater experience to, to that that well that enhances my experience. Like 
I, d- I didn't know anything about the techniques of Mark Rothko, and yet I still stood in front of his painting and was absolutely moved by it. I didn't, I, I didn't really, like, yes, I had studied music, but I didn't know the techniques of uh, Morton Feldman, but I still listened to this hour-long piece and was completely moved by it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it doesn't, I mean, it's not going to preclude that from happening if you do know a bit about it. And it can only add another layer. Mm -hmm. It can only deepen your understanding. Maybe not, not great in the, in the sense of you get a bigger rush or a better rush, but I think you certainly have more avenues to explore. And I think you certainly become less bored and more tolerant of certain types of art the more you know about it. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that's that's the phrase, certain certain types, because there are certain pieces where if I don't know anything about it, it's just going to go in one ear and out the other. But if I know how it was made and, you know, or what techniques is they're using or or whatever, it definitely adds to my experience. But there are some artists and some musicians that no matter what they do. It just speaks to you on a level that having no information about the creation process, having no information about about anything related to the concepts that went into the piece or 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 whatever, it it just affects you. And to bring it back around, I know I didn't say I was going to do ABA, but to bring it back around to Earl Kim. Lies. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this piece did for me. I had no idea about it, and it spoke to me in a very visceral way. So I get what you're saying, and to a certain extent, I agree with you. But there are always those outliers that just grab a hold of you no matter what and i think this is one of those pieces i'm really glad that andrea chuckled and cleared her throat a second ago because i was concerned that she did go for more wine (laughs) (laughs) we we would have been here forever (laughs) i'm just you can't see the smile on my face you just can't you can't see it because we're not on the video but (laughs) There's well, I think we should wrap it up. So <laughs> okay. I think we, uh, I think we covered. I, I don't want to. I don't necessarily want to have the last words. So, guys, go. What do you, What do you think? Go listen to the piece. It's beautiful. Look at the score. You can get it through issue. You will have a deep experience if you listen, look, and then learn. See depth bam there it is this is this has been a lot of fun i hope uh, you know andrea it's been a long time since we've had an opportunity to chat oh and i always have i always enjoyed my chats with you oh thank you yeah yeah okay so i i I do need something to close us out so (laughs) thank you for sharing the piece with us i learned a lot and it's beautiful um yes no i i agree that's very nice, but that's very like. Thank you for sharing the piece with us. It was very beautiful. And I, no, like we're not gonna do it that way. If, anyway, if guys, you, if you throw a vocoder on that, that would be cool. <laughs> Wine, whiskey, and beer. Ta-da! The you know, the rule of three. 
I didn't even think three of that. Three joys in life. <laughs> but there, and there's three of us. Friends, food, and family. <laughs> and if you take the, your first initial, Andrew's and mine, we get raw. Ra 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 ah ah romance. That's Lady Gaga. Uh, I know. I, I, I'm, I'm familiar. I'm pretty Lady. sure we're getting sued. <laughs> oh boy! All right. So I think you should just close so, out with Ophelia. That's how I think you should close it. Boom. That's here's a good a, suggestion. Here's Ophelia.
All right, my friends. I'm going to close Andrea. out. All right. Thank, Thank you. you, Rob. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great and night, everybody. And good day to you, Rob. Yeah. He's off to a good start. He's off to a really warm, <laughs> warm start. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com.